You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's that time of year where we don't really quite know what day of the week it is, so I'm only 75% sure it is Seattle Sports Saturday. I'm going to keep talking until they tell us otherwise. Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs, I'm Curtis Rogers. Guys, we are... It's wildcard weekend, officially. Woo! And it starts we later have to have today. a sound effect after that, right? Wildcard. Yeah. All right, cool. That's we true, did we it. did. Yeah. yeah. We made it. We're here, and the Seahawks, <laughs> they made it. They're here, which they get underway tomorrow against the Philadelphia Eagles. We have got a lot to get to as we look at just about every single angle possible of this Seahawks-Eagles game, which starts tomorrow at 1.40 p.m. Uh, pre-game show beginning at 10 a.m. right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. But wild card weekend, back at it again. Last year, the Seahawks in this round saw their season end. We're going to look at just have they learned anything from last year's playoff game, which was a very hot topic for a long time on this station. Still is among Seahawks fans. With how that season ended a year ago where the Seahawks it looked avoidable, the way it went down in Dallas Hopefully they'll be able to avoid that kind of pitfall they fell into last year. But guys, I mean, this is one of the best weekends on the sports calendar. You've got football all day today. You've got football all day tomorrow. Rough life, you know? Someone's got to live it. Yeah. yeah, again, if you live in my weird world where time doesn't exist, the national championship's on Monday, too, so you might as well go ahead and enjoy that. And it's definitely a week from Monday and not this Monday. We're so. all, I mean, I can't blame you, though. We're all still trying to figure out what day of the week it is. Yes, I did think Thursday was Monday after the New Year's break, so, you know, starting 2020 off with the clear vision of the year. That'll be my only clear 2020 vision joke of the year as well. Had to yeah. get it out of the way. Hey, but uh, Seahawks taking on the Eagles tomorrow. Uh, we've got a lot in store for you. Also, uh, some injury news regarding a pretty key eagle, Lane Johnson. He was uh, Reports are surfacing this morning, right before we got on the air, that he is not going to play tomorrow. So that is another big loss on that Eagles offensive line, which will already be down Brandon Brooks. So you're down Lane Johnson as well. Uh, very much playing into the Seahawks' favor, who will have Jadevian Clowney and Quandre Diggs back. Very nice. Still don't know the status of Jerron Brown, which is kind of interesting because we didn't expect him to play, but he was ruled questionable heading into uh, yesterday's practice. So it should be interesting to see how the Seahawks juggle their wide receiver group if Brown is able to go, which has been a, a big, big worry, I think, outside of Metcalf and Lockett and, and maybe David Moore is who is going to be else. Who, who else is going to be in that wide receiver group because there's no Josh Gordon. And there's a lot of injuries, too. Absolutely. I think, too, we forget how much Chris Carson was a part of the passing game and, and how much your running back helped in that area as well. Travis Homer, we've seen him. He can get very involved in the, in the pass game as he was against the Niners, so that might be one option for them. But absolutely, you'd love to have a healthy team this time of year. The only team that might be more banged up than the Seahawks is the Eagles. And speaking of on their offensive side of things, just besides their offensive line, also that wide receiver room has been – Man, a, a rough go. They've got a college quarterback. They've got to wear name tags. Yeah. Yeah. The, in the previous game the Seahawks played against the Eagles, Greg Ward Jr., who has been Philadelphia's leading receiver over the last month or so, 
he was still on the practice squad playing as Russell Wilson in Eagles practice. Now he is about the most vital pass catcher they have. Oh, how the turntables turn. Turn. Yeah, quite the uh, not the uh, most confident group of, of wide receivers out there if they're led by a quarterback, I would say. So it feels like Shaquille Griffin and, and Diggs should be eaten. Should. But that's why they play the game. We'll see. We'll have to discuss it for the next three hours before we can come to a, a conclusion. Well, let's get into it right now with this hour's big three. Number one. Award season in the NFL continues, and the All-Pro teams were named on Friday. The Seahawks represented on both the first and second teams. Bobby Wagner getting the nod on the first team for the fourth consecutive season, becoming the first Seahawk ever to earn first-team honors in four straight years. Overall, it's Wagner's fifth selection to the first team, passing Walter Jones for the most by one player in team history. Got to wonder now, is Canton and Bobby Wagner's future with these kinds of of awards. Russell Wilson, the other Seahawk being named to the All-Pro team, he was named to the second team. Hard to believe that this is the very first time Russell Wilson has been named to an All-Pro team in his career, but that's the case. He even got three votes for first place. Lamar Jackson taking first team nod on the All-Pro for quarterback. Those two continued to gather up awards following their Pro Bowl invites last month. And those two carrying the Seahawks for the better part of last decade. Now we're in the 2020s. I don't expect it to end anytime soon. Number two. Well, playoff football is here, ladies and gentlemen. Seahawks playoff football has arrived. It is the weekend time tomorrow, 1.40 p.m. The Seahawks will take on the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia. Seahawks looking to duplicate that success that they had on the road a few weeks ago when they won 17-9. Weather report, because I know that's what we're all checking. We care about that. The weather looks pretty good, 41 degrees, mostly cloudy. But keep an eye on this, 19 to 20 mile an hour winds projected at the stadium around kickoff time. So similar to what they were last time, we saw it sort of take over the game. You know, missed throws by both Wilson and Wentz on both sides. You saw some punts get away from some people. So keep an eye on the wind and the wind system down there uh, in at the, the link. The old the link. link. And uh, Lydia is going to get into more of the Seahawks injuries next. But one thing to keep an eye on is Lane Johnson is most likely going to be out for this game. So you're going to have a essentially a whole new side of that offensive line that the Seahawks will be able to go up against. But uh, we'll get into some of the Seahawks injuries right now. Number three. Speaking of, not a lot of surprises on the Seahawks injury report. Dwayne Brown, Malik Turner, Michael Kendricks have been ruled out for Sunday's matchup. Pete Carroll alluded to that all week. Jerron Brown and Mike Upati both questionable after not having practiced in any capacity all week. So I would assume that those guys aren't able to go on Sunday. Jadevian Clowney also continuing to deal with his court issue, but did get some limited work yesterday. And Pete had said earlier in the week he should be go, good to go against the Eagles, but they'll take it up to game time with that one. The really great news this week, Quandre Diggs back in action after missing the last couple of weeks, as was Luke Wilson. Joey Hunt looks like he is good to go after sustaining a fibula injury, and nobody really talked about that one too much this week, but... 
now down to your backup center. If Joey Hunt's not able to go, uh, Ethan Posick now out. That's that's a position that you absolutely can't lose, afford to lose anybody. I mean, the offensive line in general has been hampered by injuries, and uh, you're down to, you know, some reserves hopping in Jordan there. George, Bruce, who's jo- the fourth yes. string center. So yeah, you've got George Fant and Jamarco Jones standing in and, and both doing some admir- admirable jobs uh, shifting pieces around on the offensive line, but uh, things. Looking pretty decent, at least on the defensive front for the Hawks as they move into this game. We'll discuss more coming up in this hour, too, about how these injuries will affect the game plans for both teams. That is this hour's big three. Some other stuff going on, uh, specifically with the Huskies basketball team, losing a stunner to UCLA 66-64 on Thursday night. That got me... That got me I was kind of frustrated with the Huskies' effort. i got to be honest, against UCLA. Uh, this is a team that we're going to get into it a little bit in the 10 o'clock hour. They had a lot of preseason expectations, but right now, I mean, they are, they're looking thin out there. Yeah, it, I, too, was uh, in, in my feelings, as Drake would say, watching mm-hmm. that game, because they have so much potential. That's the hard part when you, when you see the talent that's on, on the floor and them not live up to those expectations is rough. Isaiah Stewart is the bright spot. He continues to look just absolutely phenomenal and play with all-out energy and just a selflessness that I think is pretty remarkable. Jaden McDaniels is is one that's frustrating because he is so talented but has those moments where he lets his emotions get the best of him. And a technical off the bench, you know? Not, not a good uh, look. Not, not what you want. Not ideal, as they would say. No, and but... You mentioned Isaiah Stewart and Shaq earlier this week talking about how people don't really play with their back to the basket anymore and bigs essentially are facing up the basket. But Isaiah Stewart can play with his back to the basket and has those kind of old school 90s center moves, you know, the the post up, the actual post up moves. So I love his game. Even as a Wazoo fan, I love Isaiah Stewart's game and I've enjoyed watching him grow this little bit and he far and away is the best player on, on the court when the dogs take the court. But you mentioned it, Jaden McDaniels. What's going on there, and what can he do the rest of the season to kind of get back to where people thought he would be at the start of the year, which is a potential lottery pick? Yeah, Isaiah Stewart. He's got those Dwight Howard shoulders. Yeah, he's he is a the load. length the yeah. like the length of his not of his legs is just incredible. He's got yeah, he's just so talented. That's the part that is just a bummer. I know I. Under Mike Hopkins, though, who what better coach do you have and, and support from your teammates? So uh, there's still plenty of time to this season. People don't get too depressed early on. We saw Colorado upset Oregon, too, uh, on the same night. So this is, a, this is a conference that might just have a lot of parity in it, and there might be some exciting times down the road. Also with the Huskies football team, Savon Ahmed, the leading rusher this last season, a junior, he has declared for the NFL draft. Hiring an agent, he'll become the third different Husky this offseason on the offense to do so. Jacob Eason, uh, quarterback, and then Hunter Bryan, the tight end. Uh, so a lot of turnover, not just in the coaching staff, offensively, Bush Hamden gone, Jordan Powpow, the tight end coach, he's gone, but also quarterback, tight end, running back. There's going to be new people everywhere on this Husky offense. may even be unrecognizable next year, which could be a good thing yeah. considering where it was this last year. Yeah. I mean, like, it was bad. It You're was, not wrong, Curtis. You're not wrong. But, hey, they put up, what was it, 38 on Boise State? So Good way to go out for Coach Crispy. Yeah. Uh, coming up in this hour, have the Seahawks, have they learned from last year's wild card disappointment? We'll get into that about 15 minutes from now. 
But Jevin Clowney, Quandre Diggs, they've got the green light. So do the Seahawks. Are they good to go too? We'll talk that next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. You want the blueprint for beating the Philadelphia Eagles? We managed to get our hands on a copy of it, which I don't know if we should be sharing that on the air. Like, maybe the Seahawks should hit us up. Like, hey, we know how it works. But thankfully, our friend, Shiel Kapadia... You know, yeah. he's just pretty open about Long-time it. Long-time friend of the station. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I thought it was Jay-Z's blueprint. Oh. Or even KRS-One's blueprint. But I guess it's Shiel Kapadia's Shiel blueprint. Shiel blueprint. Yeah, that's so. coming up <laughs> in about, oh, 30 minutes or so. The blueprint to beating the Eagles, as told by an Eagles reporter. That's coming your way in 30 minutes. But right now, I mean, the Seahawks getting great news on the injury report this week. Getting two of their biggest contributors on defense. Maybe two guys that have been, you know, the, the biggest difference makers on the defense when healthy. Jadevian Clowney, Quandre Diggs, both getting that green light. Uh, the good bill of health weren't even listed on the injury report yesterday, uh, which is about as ideal as it gets. Clowney dealing with that core injury that he's had for uh, about the season's second half after the 49ers game, and then Quandre Diggs. Got the ankle injury against the Panthers. He's been out ever since then. But now those two guys good to go for Sunday. And as we've seen this year, uh, let's start with Diggs. As we've seen this year with him in the lineup for Seattle, there has been just a different feel to the defense when he's out there. There has been something about that defense that when he's out there, it actually feels like a strength of the Seahawks. Yeah, and I actually had a chance earlier this year to to talk to Shaquille Griffin, and that was one of the things I asked him is, what is it about having Diggs on the field? And they said he said, it's the leadership, knowing and trusting that Diggs is going to be in the right spot in that position to make a play. It takes a weight off of their shoulders, essentially. They can play free football knowing and trusting the person behind them is going to take care of them. So you can see it, I think, it's hard to necessarily kind of prove it with stats other than the turnovers that you see. There weren't any turnovers when Diggs was hurt and the turnovers you've seen when he's on the field and the turnovers they forced. It's remarkable to see just what an impact in half a season this player has had on this team and, and this franchise's identity heading into the playoffs this year. Yeah. I think he is your second most important defensive player on the field behind Bobby Wagner. And I would say not even necessarily from a performance standpoint, although Bobby named all pro again, rightfully so leading in tackles as well, but also what he means leadership wise and just what he provides for everyone else there. But I think at times this season, we might've said Jadevian Clowney because of the highs of certain games that he's had and and the pressure that he's put quarterbacks under. He's just wreaking havoc out there when he is, healthy, and also just the non-existent or seemingly non-existent at times pass rush that they've had. But I would still argue that it's Quandre Diggs that is your second most impactful defensive player, which is crazy to think that we weren't even thinking about him to start the season, and now he is a Mm must-have. Well, and it's it's wild still to think that the Lions gave him up for as little as they did, and you look at his importance to that team, he was a team captain, and like you had everybody tweeting from – you know, the Lions locker room, how shocked they were to see him get moved. But also you look at the the track record of the Lions under Matt Patricia, they are 
just then it's not terrible. shocking. Yeah, in that then case, it's like, like, oh yeah, oh, this right. is a coach that like mm. tries to make these moves. Like, yeah, I'm in charge around here. It's, okay, you've got three wins. Yeah, okay, no music cool. in the locker room. Mm. We're gonna practice in the yeah. snow, even <laughs> though we play in a dome. Cool pencil, bruh. Yeah. Hey, how about you sit up straight? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, though, to build off yours, Lydia, uh, I agree with you that Diggs is so important, but I almost still hold Clowney just slightly above Diggs, only because I feel like when this team has that pass rush, it, it forces the quarterback into certain mistakes, and Diggs is one of those players that capital. It, it's, it's a chicken-and-the-egg argument. It's like, if you want to tell me that Diggs is making the plays and Clowney is helping to provide for Diggs, totally great. Or the fact that Clowney is able to get to the quarterback because Diggs' coverage is so great on the back end and it's forcing sure. the quarterbacks to, to go through their reads and make the, the, the proper you know progressions and Clowney's able to get there in that I, process. I think the last Eagles game is a great example, though, because Jadevian wasn't in that game. And they still forced five turnovers. Four of them were Wentz was responsible for. And you saw other guys step up. You saw Ziggy Ansah step up. Mm-hmm. Granted, they have they were hampered in the, on their offensive line in that game as well. And Andre Dillard just looked in the wrong place. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, but it's true. that was a rough situation for him to have to come into. And you saw even, I think, Jay Reed pop up in that game, Puna Ford. But I think... You can get contributions. Like we, it's weird that we're not talking about Jaron Reed more than we are. And I think my argument last time too is just that the drop off, the next best player behind Quandre, is just such a steeper drop off from Clowney to the next pass rusher. At least what they should be able to do. Yeah, because if it's not Quandre Diggs out there, it's what Lano Hill, and yeah. Yeah. I can see why yeah. he dropped the D in Delano this off season because he's been bad in coverage. I see what you did there. Yeah. Dropped the D. That's wow. Lano. <laughs> what about other important players on the field? You posed this question. We talked about this. If if besides Russell Wilson, let's take him out of the equation. If we've talked about defense, how about offense? Because Rashad Penny stepped up the last time these two teams played each other. Chris Carson not able to go. And Rashad Penny having an incredible day. So who is going to be that person, that spark plug on the offense? Offensive side of the ball. Keeping in mind, they have a pretty decent run D in Philly. Yeah, and I think the Seahawks need to be cognizant of that and and air it out. I think Tyler Lockett is somebody that, for whatever reason, since coming back from his injury, he has not been himself. He has not been the Tyler Lockett we saw in the season's first half. I think in the first half, it was like the first nine games he played this year, he had 59 receptions. In the seventh since, he's only had like 20-something. And that, to me, is just unacceptable for the Seahawks offense. If they want to get to the end zone on Sunday, you got to get Tyler Lockett involved early and often. And I, I think that's something that, to me is the it's priority number one for the Seahawks uh, tomorrow is to get him going because yeah DK has been great he's got 900 yards receiving on the season was it seven touchdowns or something like that but Tyler Lockett is your steadiest presence maybe on the entire team like outside of Russell Wilson or maybe even with Russell Wilson too like get Tyler involved and get this offense back to where it was when they were 10-2, and two, and it didn't matter what the defense did because you knew they were going to outscore whoever they played. Yeah, the last time these two teams played each other, Tyler had two catches for 38 yards, 
And but it's the good news is he's trending in the right direction. He's looked better down the stretch. Uh, he had a touchdown, fifty-one yards, six of seven targets in that last game against the Niners, and an incredible day against the Panthers uh, back a couple of weeks. So I think he's trending in the right direction. We know the connection between him and Russell is undeniable. And then I would say Travis Homer is the other answer because he also can get involved in that pass game. And they need to establish a run to to operate everything on their offense. They did were able to rack up a decent amount of yards against this run defense last time. So I think um, Russell Wilson was sacked six times against them last time as well. Uh, you got to watch out for this D line because it it will get to the quarterback. But uh, offensive line is going to be hampered. It, it's got, it's got to be getting a few explosive plays with those guys we mentioned. For me, uh, I'll mention two people you guys haven't mentioned Let's so go. far. Uh, okay, okay. I'm actually looking at Jacob Halster and Luke Wilson. Oh, all right. Tight end position, a lot of their passes are in that short to intermediate size route, right? You're going to get a lot of those short ball- balls, and I think that's going to be crucial in a windy game in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It's that security blanket. Look who Russell went to on the last play of the game with the game on the line. He went he went to Jacob Hollister. That's the guy who he threw the ball to with the game on the line. So Russell appears to have faith and trust in these guys at that position. And we know Luke Wilson is a great pass catcher, and Jacob Hollister has emerged as one of them recently. I- I'm really interested to see what type of a difference those guys can make. Can they open it up for Tyler Lockett on the edge? Can they open up the run game a little bit more by having the linebackers have to have to play true to Luke and, and to Jacob in the back? So... I'm looking to see if those tight ends can really help take the offense and and add that last element that they need into it. That's a really interesting point you bring up there, Taylor, is at the end of the game last week, Russell Wilson, his biggest throws of the game went to Jacob Hollister and John Ursua. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not the guys you would associate as being, you know, the, the stars of this wide receiver group. In fact, both those guys have spent a good amount of the season on the practice squad. Hollister was brought up when Will Disley went down. I think that does show that Russell Wilson has trust in pretty much anybody he's throwing to, which is a good thing for Russell Wilson to have. And I think it's showing, you know, I think Hollister's role next year will probably increase to beyond what it is right now. Or at least when Will Disley's out there, we'll see more two tight end sets with Hollister. But I, I think that is a really good point in that Russell Wilson is not afraid to really target anybody out there. Yeah, in big moments, too, because we've seen Malik Turner be that guy on third downs. You have the huge uh, flea flicker catch against the Eagles. We've seen Josh Gordon, who was only here for a few weeks, be the guy on third down and long. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a testament to Russ. And maybe later in the show we can get to what Russ has done this season with not a lot because I think it lines up in a good comparison with Carson Wentz as well, who's had – to do a lot this season with not a lot of offensive pieces around him and which quarterback's been more impressive. Yeah, and just real quickly before we go to break, if you think about playoff history and some of the receivers who have emerged in the playoffs, they're not usually the the ones. It's it's the ba- it's sort of the twos and threes who make these big plays, these big moments. Jimmy Chris, Chris Matthews. <laughs> right. Tyree, I think, was the number two receiver in, in New York when he made that big catch. Like, there was just... There just is something about those, the depth of a team that you truly find out about in the playoffs. I'm excited to see it tomorrow. Let's go. Coming up, uh, have the Seahawks, have they learned from last year's wildcard disappointment? Will we see more urgency from them in a win or go home scenario? We talk that. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Sometimes when you look, sometimes when you want to go forward, you got to look back. Seahawks find themselves on the road against an NFC West or an NFC East opponent in the wild card round. Just a year ago, they were in this exact same spot, wild card round, going up against the Dallas Cowboys in what was one of the most frustrating games to watch from a Seahawks perspective. I don't think there's any disagreement from anybody on that. No, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, you keep it's it on your TV. Yeah, over I throw here. it on at night just to like put me at ease before bed. <laughs> Said no one ever. Uh, yeah, and then and how different these two teams are a year later yeah. should actually speak to the question we we're trying to discuss today, which is what did the Seahawks need to learn coming out of that game, and did they learn it? Do you feel more confident going into this matchup? Yeah, we took a look at the stats that the Seahawks put up against the Cowboys last year in the wild card round during the break. And man, it was it was even uglier than I remembered. Yeah. E- even though the Seahawks only lost by two points, it was a twenty four twenty two game at Jerry World. But the Seahawks' rushing attack was non existent against the Cowboys. It wasn't for a lack of trying. No. In fact, they tried maybe a little too much. They had twenty four carries, only seventy three yards in total through the whole team, three yards a carry, a rushing touchdown, and that was because of Russell Wilson. Chris Carson, only 20 yards on 13 carries. Rashad Penny, 29 yards on four carries, but 28 of those came on one rush. Mike Davis, who? Four carries, 10 <laughs> yards. Uh, I mean, they they ran the ball nearly as much as they threw it, and they had much more success throwing the ball against the Cowboys last year. And sorry for bringing this up again, but it's important. It. Yeah, you, you got to do it. Because if the Seahawks are going to find themselves against a team really good against the run, which the Eagles are, have the Seahawks learned from last year's wildcard game? I think they already have, if you just simply have watched this team. If you don't look at any of the stats, you can tell this is Russell Wilson's team. He's in charge. It's the He's the guy. Everyone looks to him. It's finally completely Russell's team. No LOB. None of the defense is carrying this team. It's true. It's the opposite now. Russell has put this team on his back and is carrying them now. So I think just sorting out your identity, who you are, that was one of the things they were suffering from at the playoffs last year. What is this team? Are they still such a run first heavy, you know, limit Russell's passing numbers or passing attempts rather? It, it felt like there were still all these questions of what's going on with this team. And, and from preseason game one to now the identity has been fairly clear on this offense on and this team on what it is and that's one of the i think the big steps they needed to take in order to avoid going through the same thing as they did last year yeah that could be an extension of the lessons learned right learn your identity absolutely learn russell wilson is the centerpiece of your offense uh, absolutely but learn also my question is to adjust your game plan within the game when you realize something is not working. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the Seahawks have demonstrated that enough this year? Uh, I, I think so. I think there have been times where they've recognized that Russell Wilson is just on fire and just let him rip. I think the Tampa Bay game uh, is the best example of 
Russ just just taking over and saying, you know what, I'm going to win this because no one else on this team right now is showing any kind of urgency in, in this matter. And they were able to get, what was it, they tied it at the end of regulation. They won it at the in the first drive of overtime, thanks in large part to Russell Wilson, him making unbelievable throws. Uh, the 49ers game, yeah, he had the interception in overtime, but his unwilling you know, or his unrelenting positivity on the sideline even after that i think you know his teammates really fed off of that because it looked really dire when he threw mm-hmm. that late interception and then they were able to come back and, and and have you know pick up the the signature win of the season i would even point to the last niners game right where you're down 13-0 at half and at that point if you had like Danny mentioned that this week, if you if you were down thirteen zero against the Niners, you would have thought that game would end what fifty six to nothing or something. Like yeah. they could just come out and roll over you, but they made adjustments at the halftime. That was really promising against the number one seed in the NFC, and still came within one score in a few seconds and a few inches from beating them a second time. Yeah, I would almost say Seahawk fans. That's their biggest frustration this year is that they know this team can adjust and change and figure it out on the fly, whether it be at halftime or in the game. And I think some people are frustrated because it'll take them a quarter or two to make those adjustments or wait until after halftime to really turn it on. And I think people and fans are always like, why aren't they playing like the fourth quarter in the first quarter? Well, it all goes back to Pete, you know, the can you win the game in the first Mm -hmm. quarter? No. Well, it's like you can put yourself in a good position to win the game in the first quarter, Pete. Yes. You can do all that. Yeah, you can pull away pretty big and just kind of pace your way to a win. So that was one of the things that that I was kind of looking at in regards to that question there, Lydia. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just looking at this box score from last year, against the Cowboys. The Cowboys had the difference between the Seahawks' first downs and the Cowboys' first downs was more than the total number the Seahawks even had. Seahawks had 11, Cowboys had 23. Uh, Third down efficiency, the Seahawks only 2 of 13. Cowboys were 4 of 11, so they were a little bit better. Uh, Cowboys ran 16 more plays, had nearly 100 more yards than the Seahawks did. But it it was about the same number of yards per play. It's just that the Cowboys were able to uh, get more. You know, they were able to put themselves in better position on first and second down than the Seahawks were. Um, so if there was a lesson on the defensive side of things, what do you think that they needed to learn from a defense perspective against Dallas last year, and have they learned it? The one play that sticks out to me from the Cowboys in that game was Dak Prescott's third down scramble late in the game that it was what like third and third and long mm-hmm. like third and 14 like, uh, or something yeah, like, like that yeah like 12 third and 12 or something like that and he just kind of pulls this Houdini move mm. and picks third up and a first, yeah, third yeah. and 14 yeah third and 14 I don't even know why I th- questioned that <laughs> and so he pulls out this crazy run and it extends the drive for the Cowboys and I think they were able to either get a score or they were able to run out the clock, whatever it was. To me, you absolutely have to get off the field after third down. You cannot let Philadelphia continue drives and gas a defense where, you know, you've got Clowney and Diggs. It's their first games back. Who knows how long they're going to be able to sustain this on Sunday. You know, Clowney has been kind of in and out of the lineup over the last couple of months since that 49ers game. You need to get him as much air as possible on the bench, and and if you're not able to get off the field on third down, 
that's going to be a massive, massive thing that the Seahawks are going to have to game plan for if they want to have a shot tomorrow. Because if they had limited the Cowboys there to a field goal, and Russell Wilson marches downfield and scores the touchdown, and they even their two-point conversion was good on that one in the final minute of the game, I mean, yeah, the, Russell with Russell Wilson, you always have faith that you can you can come back and you can win a game. The concern, I think, this year was the fourth-quarter defense in general and how they seem to give up a lot of points. They made games way too interesting that – didn't need to be that interesting. It's just such a weird mentality because I feel like we're used to the reverse. Mm-hmm. We're used to uh, the defense sort of being locked down at the end of games here in Seattle. And that's if that's the case, I think, A, against the Niners, it was more promising. Um, but that's that's going to be either you need to have such a big lead at that point that you know that your defense is going to fail down. That's my biggest concern is, is the late-game defense. And I'm not sure that they have quite learned – that lesson. Yeah, if you combine the two and if you think about it, uh, think about the Cardinals game and what Hunley did on that one third down run Gotta in say, the fourth quarter. Had bad flashbacks. Exactly. That. You come literally a third down run in the fourth quarter the, the two that you were literally just talking about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We saw it poke its head up. So you're right. I, I, I think there are still some things on this defense that concern every Seahawk fan when it comes to those big plays on in those big situations and what this defense looks like in the fourth quarter. Now, I think there is one specific area of this of last year's wild card round that the Seahawks did learn from, and they addressed it almost immediately in the offseason. That was special teams because they went out and got Jason Myers who is decidedly not Sebastian Janikowski. He's not going to injure his leg, probably I, I doing a... So. Which we saw doing a kick. really hampered the Seahawks in the second half because they were forced to go for it a lot of times where you would normally you know, be okay with kicking a field goal. I believe they went for two on both of their second half touchdowns because they weren't able to kick an extra point. I think they tried it with Michael Dixon at one point, and he just it wasn't even close, right. which that's not Dixon's fault. He was nope. pressed into duty in a spot that he wasn't expected to play in. So I think the Seahawks are better served with Jason Myers as their kicker. Yeah, he's been kind of up and down this season, but I get way more confidence with him kicking than I do or than I did with Sebastian Janikowski. Yeah, I just feel like a normal kicker. Like they yeah. that's just kind of kicking now unless you have someone who is a Hall of Famer, you're going to get what you get out of Myers. That's pretty much the NFL kicker today. So it is what it is and, and look, I'd love to just be 100% confident no matter where the kick was, but that's just not the reality of it. We got our hands on the blueprint on how to beat the Eagles, so you might want to keep it locked right here. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in the next hour, we give you our big three. Take a look at the wild card round. Some of the biggest questions facing each wild card team. That's coming up in the ten o'clock hour. Curtis Rogers, Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs, with you. The blueprint for beating the Philadelphia Eagles. Now the Seahawks, they were able to do it once already this season, but as we've seen this year with Seattle, in the rematches that they've had. With the NFC West teams, they have dropped each rematch with the Cardinals, Rams, and 49ers. We're hoping that doesn't extend to the Eagles. And 
Philadelphia, they've won four straight. So it, it really – I want to I want to feel confident going into tomorrow. I really do. But something about the whole trend of not winning the rematch, it's got me a little a little shaky. But, but first, quick note, the, the games they did play against were in their division, and it's one of the historically bad divisions of – that's ever existed in football. So a lot of their wins, their four-game win streak, are coming against you know Bad the teams. Giants, the the Cowboys, and um, and Washington. So I I don't I'm not too, and they didn't win by other than one game I think win by insane point margins. Um, so I wouldn't I think those those are skewed, and we have to look at them with a little bit of context. Meanwhile, the Seahawks are in arguably the best division mm-hmm. in the Professional Football League this year. So I would say. I'm not too disheartened, nor am I too encouraged by what they've done over the past couple of weeks when we look at their their body of work. But uh, we did find a seven uh, a seven step blueprint to beating the Seahawks, courtesy of our friends, or beating the Eagles, courtesy of our friend Shil Kapadia. Yeah, it, it you know like in National Treasure, there's a, a map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. These seven steps were not on the back of the Declaration. Well, we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. They could be, but we don't know. So Nick Cage, or if you've stolen the Declaration of Independence recently, text in seven ten seven ten. We'd love to know. hear how you did it, yeah. and uh, of course, what's on the back. Exactly. Well, let's start off with this blueprint, courtesy of our friend Shil Kapadia, writes for The Athletic. Uh, number one, he said, relentlessly attack the Eagles' corners downfield. They have been terrible in that department this year. Uh, he said, here's a rundown of where the Eagles' defense ranked against outside receivers during the regular season. Yards allowed per game, they're last in the NFL. Explosive receptions, they're 31st. Touchdowns, they're 17th. And yards per target, they're 27th in the league. Uh, Russell Wilson, an excellent downfield passer. We know that better than anybody. That the, the X factor here is the wind. Mm-hmm. And and how will that prevent this first step that uh, she laid out? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be about 18-mile-an-hour wins. Similar to the first matchup against these two teams. And we I, saw Russell struggle. Yeah. Uh, the Eagles do get Avante Maddox back in their secondary, which, I, I mean, if their pass defense is that bad, is that really helping? their pass defense get any better. He is a starter on that team. But, yeah, that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with, you know, getting Tyler Lockett going. DK is there as well. You've got downfield threats. As Shield points out, might as well use them, especially against a defense as uh, – a secondary as porous as what Philadelphia's got. Yeah, and I, and I think the Seahawks don't need to – bomb it down the field the entire game in order to be successful. It's not like NFL Blitz where you're using the, the, the bomb, bomb every baby. single play. Or Sub-Zero, shift the guy to the left. Oh. That was always a good successful play in Blitz. <laughs> uh, but no, you, you mentioned it. 40 degrees, 17-mile-an-hour wins the last time these two played. This projected weather forecast for tomorrow, 41 degrees, 18 to 19-mile-an-hour wins. So it's almost going to be an exact mirror of the conditions you played in last time. How can Russell be effective in going downfield? But if there's anyone in the league that you trust Mm -hmm. the most to make a downfield throw, I think Russell Wilson's at the top of the list. And in the last matchup, he did have three passes over 30 yards, the connections to Lockett, Turner, and more. We mentioned his trust with different receivers, so he still had some success even in that high wind, and they'll look to to replicate it. Building off that, number two on on Shilkapati's list of the blueprint for how the Seahawks can beat the Eagles is – Get to Tyler Lockett early and often. This makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Curtis, that was what literally your key moments ago. Yeah, Shield, come on, man. Yeah. Like, give me some Bite credit. Your style. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, he is the most reliable target the Seahawks have. It makes sense to get it to him. I, I it, It's been really frustrating, especially the last handful of games, watching Tyler Lockett go quarters and halves without even so much as a target. Like, this is this is the guy. This is who you should be targeting every time. What was it? Russell Wilson has a perfect passer rating when throwing to Tyler Lockett over like the last two years. If you're perfect throwing to one receiver, why not just ride that out? Yeah, yeah. I love this stat. Over the past two seasons, Wilson is completing 77.2% of his passes when targeting Lockett. Only Michael Thomas has a higher catch percentage among wide receivers. Wilson is also averaging 11.2 yards per pass attempt when targeting Tyler, which is the second highest average for any quarterback-wide receiver combination. Yeah, and not only the numbers and the things you just mentioned, but what it does for DK Metcalf, Malik Turner, how it opens Luke Wilson, Jacob Hollister, the running backs, the running game, how it just, the trickle-down effect of getting one player at the top going can be immense for an offense like the Seahawks. Yeah, Tyler uh, struggling in the past couple of weeks, I think to get some of that separation that he has done so well at getting in the past, but he's trending in the right direction uh, in that Niner game. We saw him come alive. All right, number three on this list, attack the right side of the Eagles' offensive line, which has been hampered by injury. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Brooks, gone. Lane Johnson, most likely gone unless some some sort of miracle happens. Reports were surfacing this morning that he would be out. Yeah, so that's – and then for the – you talked about Dillard in the last game and the struggles that he had. Can they take advantage of that again? And you're you're getting healthy again on the on the defensive line for the Seahawks. So what can that healthy defensive line at quote unquote full strength do against this Eagles banged up offensive line? Yeah, and, and if the Seahawks are going to get their pass rush going, which they were able to do against Philadelphia the last time these two teams played, and Andre Dillard had a rough game for Philadelphia's offensive line. Benched at halftime. I I think this plays into the Seahawks and having a, what is it, a fully healthy defensive line for the first time in a long time. You've got Clowney and Anta and Jefferson and Reed and the parts, you look at it, and I think that's been one of the most frustrating things about the Seahawks is that the parts are there. The sum of those parts just has not been and hopefully they can get it going. What was it, six sacks they had against Philadelphia last time they played? If three they could, sacks, ten quarterback hits. Three sacks, ten mm-hmm. quarterback hits. Russ was sacked six times. Seven. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if they can match what they did against Wentz the last time they played in Week 12, I think that bodes very well. Like, I, I, I'm not going to ask for the world. Three sacks, I think, is a reasonable ask of this defensive line. It's not the world. It's not a country. It's not even a state. That's it's like just a, a small county. ask. Yeah, yeah, it's a county, all right? Might uh, even just be like a neighborhood. Right? Yeah, like a cul-de-sac. A cul-de-sac, yeah. yeah. Uh, number four on this list, contain Eagles running backs in the passing game. Uh, they've been pretty dynamic in that department, and on explosive plays especially, their backs produced 11 receptions of 20-plus yards during the regular season. That's tied for third most in the NFL. They're a big screen team, but we saw against them last time, K.J. Wright, reading those screens pretty well. Yeah, and they're going to have to really lean on their linebackers, and even Cody Barton um, and, and Dave Wyman this week in fo- his Football 101 actually talking about how Cody Barton may be better at covering the pass than Michael Kendricks was, and that Kendricks is just a better linebacker, and he wouldn't question that. But- speed. You brought up KJ talking about what Philadelphia was doing in that game. He mentioned, I think this was with Greg Bell, the News Tribune, he said that they knew what Philly was doing on offense before they even ran the play. You were calling out their plays? Yeah. 
You guys had a, you were dialed in. Yeah, I wish I was mic'd up so y'all could like know what I was saying out there. So we all you get it, but we was just on it. Okay. We knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. Well, please replicate that again. Veteran linebacker, plenty of uh, wherewithal. So hopefully, maybe they've changed their game plan a little bit since then and tried to disguise some of their screens more. But number five on this list: slow down Eagles defensive ends with misdirection. Uh, Shield just saying one thing that their defensive. Their defensive line has been pretty dominant this year, especially in run defense. But one thing you can do is uh, mess them up with misdirection runs. Also on this list, burn the Eagles when they blitz. This is an interesting combo because Russell Wilson has been feast or famine against the blitz this year. Meanwhile, uh, they on on defense have been the same way. They either uh, are dominant or they get burned hardcore. So that could be one way that they are able to get yardage against them. And then the, the last item on this list should come as no surprise. Avoid game management mistakes. Easier said than done. Yeah, that's a big ask. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the biggest ask of the coaching staff because we saw it against the 49ers. We saw it against the Cardinals. We saw it against the Rams. There were just so many times over the last handful of weeks where it's like, why are you burning a timeout there? Why are you not going for it on fourth and short at like the 40-yard line? Why are you getting a delay of game call on the final drive of the game on the one-yard line? I mean, come on, guys. It's just so strange because they do everything else so well. Honestly, from scouting to the preparation before the games to skill development to – the fact that they're able to to maneuver some of these things midseason, like everything else the Seahawks front office-wise do, they're A-plus, top-notch, ahead of the league. And it just feels like this is such a head-scratcher because of that, that they're able to do so much great work everywhere else. Why aren't they able in-game to kind of get the little simple things right and... Should give you hope, though, that right. they can fix those was, because of all the intangibles and all the things that aren't easy to do well. Yes, we have those. Correct. The things that are fixable, and hopefully this is the right time to get them fixed. Coming up, we've got the big three, a huge slate of wild card weekend action going on even outside of Seattle. Uh, it begins this afternoon. We'll get into all of that coming up. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.